Those of you who uh, I haven't met or had the pleasure to, my name's Hunter Upton. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Get Well South Haven. Glad to uh, be here this morning. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump in. If you've got a Bible or a device to read from, we're going to be in Haggai chapter 1. Uh, Haggai chapter 1, Old Testament book, one of the prophets, one of the 12. Would love for you to be there. It's not really a book that uh, is probably read from uh, typically in the church very often. Uh, and especially probably not so much around this time of year, but it's one of the 12 uh, minor prophets that we find right before we get to the New Testament. Um, the book was written chronicling the prophet Haggai's ministry uh, to the uh, faithful remnant of God's people who returned to the promised land after uh, the exile. And uh, one of the really neat things about Haggai is that this is the first time that God's voice um, that God's voice has been heard in the land since uh, that time, since the days of Jeremiah. So, if you've got your Bible open, let's read, beginning Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, it is, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while, the house, while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Have you sown much and harvested little? You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and, on, and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on the ground that brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Now, if we were doing a building project, this would probably be a decent uh, text to use and probably misused many times uh, for that. Uh, purpose. And if we leave it at just the surface level of saying God was upset uh, that his temple wasn't being built, I think keeps us uh, from missing uh, the point. Now, when the first wave of exiles had returned from Babylon in uh, 538 BC, they began to rebuild the temple, but soon uh, they got discouraged uh, and distracted, if you will, uh, and, and gave up on that. And you see, here's the reason why the temple is so important, uh, because that is where God's presence dwelled among the people. Um, and as long as it was still in ruins, then the God's presence uh, would not be present with them, right? Um, and this was an issue. 
yet it wasn't an issue that apparently the people were all that concerned about. And so the Lord's got some really strong language uh, for them. Did you notice what he said in uh, verse 2? He says, these people, y'all, that is a, a scathing statement for God's people. For he, to, for he to look at them and say, these people, this is God's people, the people that he had chosen and made a covenant with. And he had even told them, I will be your God and you will be my people. But here, the Lord is saying that there's no way you're my people. You don't act like my people. You're making excuses for rebuilding this temple, and so now God isn't going to have it any longer. And the second thing that the Lord says to them twice is consider your ways. Consider your ways, verses 5 and 7. He's telling them that they've focused so much on themselves and on their comfort and on getting on with their lives that they've neglected the very house of the Lord, the place where he would dwell among them. See, that's also the place where they would give sacrifice for their sin so that they could be reconciled with God, so that they could be that holy people that God had called them to be. And so as long as God's house isn't rebuilt, this kind of served as a spiritual barometer, if you will, for the, the spiritual health of the people, right? God didn't dwell among them. They couldn't give sacrifice for their sin. They could care less. I mean, they were excited that they had been brought back from exile but yet didn't care about the Lord among them. And I think that, you know, how could they call God Lord when they refused to do what he commanded? And so I think that the Lord's probing of consider your ways to this remnant should also prompt us to think about our priorities. We need to think about that. And what better time than now here at Christmas to think about where are our priorities as his people, as his church. So I want you to think about it. Look at verses uh, 4 through 6 and verse 9. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Verse 9, you looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when, I, when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. You see, the Lord is showing them that what they've done is they've misplaced their, their desires. They've misplaced their priorities. And that what they've prioritized over God and him dwelling among them, that what that is is nothing more than pointless and meaningless and worthless. Why? Because they've neglected to place God at the center of their lives. Consider your ways. This phrase must have been one of Haggai's you know, usual phrases that he loved to, to bring out. We've got Haggai, two short chapters. I encourage you to go read it. Uh, today, 38 verses. Guys, if you can't get through that and say you read a book today, then I'm not real sure what I can do here. Um, but he uses that phrase, consider your ways, four times. We joke that, that we all who communicate on stage and preach, we all have like a phrase that's our thing. Uh, mine is, here's the thing, and I'll probably say it today, I'm sure. Um, but what Haggai is doing with this phrase, consider your ways. This is the word of the Lord, y'all. 
Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Haggai's pointing to the people's desperate need for them to examine their hearts and to search out this direction that they're on in their lives. I shared this with a class uh, not long back, uh, so sorry if some of you were in there, but I'll share it again. Um, it's an example that I learned at a VBS years ago uh, as a 20-something. Um, I was leading a VBS, and it was one of the examples in one of the lessons, but yet it's so on point, is that if you were to take a, a pointer and point in one direction, you would see how far it would go. Now, if you would take the pointer and move it just one degree, it doesn't look like right here that it's moved that much, right? But yet, if you turn the pointer on and you measure the distance, how far off the mark it is. And what God is saying here through Haggai, consider your ways. Examine your heart. See what direction you're headed in. So Haggai encourages us to do the same today. And I know that all of us can find ourselves uh, guilty of treasuring comfort, of material possessions, experiences, this job and career that we might have over the Lord's call to place him first in our lives. But you see, Jesus was born. Jesus lived a perfect life. He gave himself for us, and now the Holy Spirit of God now dwells in the temple of God's people. And here's the thing is that this is not a physical building that God's presence only dwells in, but it's a physical being that each of us, each person who makes up the church, that God's spirit dwells with us. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. See, Jesus came to earth to make a way for us that we could not make on our own. And he did this in several ways. I'm going to give you two ways. One is so that we would no longer have to have a physical temple to go offer sacrifices day in and day out for our sin. You see, Jesus did that once and for all. Hebrews 10 tells us, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. Thank you, God. We don't have to offer sacrifice for our sin anymore. Jesus has done that once and for all. Now, the second thing is that God's spirit no longer has to dwell in a building external from God's people. But instead, the Spirit dwells in the temple of the believer. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he asks, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You see, Jesus, he promised the Spirit would be among us, would be our advocate, would be with us always. Uh, as he ascended into heaven, we find that in John 16, we find that come to fruition in Acts chapter 2. We see it even today that the Holy Spirit indwells those who place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to the earth, God in the flesh, to make a way for us. You see, where sin had separated us from God, Jesus makes a way God sent his one and only son for that purpose because he loves you and I so very much.
So this begs the question, how's your temple? What I mean by that, man, is how's your soul? You know, we, we're entering into this, this season of Christmas that, that is filled with a lot of distraction. We've had 48 weeks of this year that have been filled with 48 weeks worth of junk, right? Day in and day out. How is your temple? How is your soul? Are we like the people who've come back by God's miraculous hand and his temple is in ruins? Are we distracted by materialism? Are we distracted by the world? Have we neglected what God has given us in the gift of his son and his spirit? What's keeping you from preparing him room in your hearts and your lives today? You see, I think that Haggai's piercing statement of consider your ways should be a call for us to examine our hearts and our lives and to see what direction we're headed in. And I can tell you, I'm a guy just like all of y'all. Uh, and, you know, I, I know that we hate taking time for self-reflection and, and introspection and looking in. Some guys are better at it than others, but as a generalization, it's just one of those things we would rather be busy or watch football uh, than ever sit and think about and ask God to really search us and know us, right? Uh, but here's the thing is that for us, to be human means that we need to do that. We have to do that uh, because we're sinful people. See, God's people, the truth is that uh, they didn't want to place God at, back at the center of their lives. And if they didn't do that, then they were going to end up no different than the people who had been taken into exile because of their disobedience to God. They had chosen not to be God's people. And so now God is calling them back calling them back to that, to be the people, to be holy as they had been called to be. Now, I want you to hear this. One of the greatest dangers to the people was the fact that they would start looking like everybody else. God had called them out, had given them, you will be my people, I will be your God, you will be a holy people set apart from the world, which means you look different. Church, that's no different. Men, that's no different then what God has done with us through Christ is that we would be called out of this world to not look like this world, but instead to look like Christ. Sinfulness, sinfulness is contagious and it's natural. It's the way of the world. It's what we're inclined to do before we know Jesus. And just like misery, I think that sinfulness likes company, okay? Okay. And if we surround ourselves with idolatry, then it's more easily that we're going to fall in line with it. And if you participate in something sinful once, it just makes it easier the next time to justify it, right? I think that we all can say that we've been in that boat before, right? It's a slippery slope that we have to be careful not to fall into, and God knew that. That's why he called us people to check their ways, to check their priorities, to place him back at the center of their lives. And while sinfulness is contagious, I don't think that holiness is. And I want you to hear me out on that. I think that as much as I wish it were, it just isn't. It's a choice. 
The choice that every single day we have to decide, are we going to follow the Lord's way or not? It's a choice that we have to make each and every time that we're confronted with, with these challenges of God. So at the end of Haggai 1.11, verse 11 there, uh, the people had, were faced with a choice to make, right? To stop making excuses and to rebuild the temple or not. So what do they do? Let's keep on reading. Let's pick up in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up in the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of, the ho- of hosts, their God, on the, 20, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Men, they obeyed the voice of the Lord, the whole people stirred up to obedience to God. Y'all, these are the kind of, of, of moments that reading that get me so fired up. And there are moments that I dream of for our church, that I dream of even for this group, that we would be stirred up as a group, that every single one of us would obey the voice of the Lord and what a beautiful moment it is. Do you hear his voice? Do you hear him calling you to greater faith and longer obedience? Do you sense his desire for him to for you to know him better and to walk with him deeper? In this season of Advent, I want to encourage you as the Christmas hymn Joy to the World says, let every heart prepare him room. I want you to prepare him room. That temple, clean it out. Prepare him room. Prepare Jesus Christ room in your heart. Prepare him room in your family, in your schedule, wherever it is. We might not be rebuilding the temple, the physical building, but we are the temple that God desires to dwell in, to walk with us each and every day, to help us along the way. And that's why I love that God tells them in verse 13, I am with you. Friends, that is one of the most powerful statements for us to hang on to. Because not only does God say this in the Old Testament, he tells it to us in his very presence. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, his one and only son. He tells us, I am with you. Matthew 28. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. So men, I want to challenge you. I wanted to challenge you to make Jesus a priority in your heart and in your home and your gatherings this Christmas season. I know that sometimes we struggle with the, well, what if it makes it a little awkward? Y'all, we got to get over that. You're the leaders of your house. You're the leaders. Many of you are leaders in your workplace. I don't care if it's a little bit awkward. Y'all, I'm a little bit awkward, okay? Just lean into it. I would rather it be a little bit awkward in God's word. God's truth be spoken than it to never be spoken in our homes and our lives. 
Guys, let's put Jesus back at the center of our lives. Don't shy away from leaning into the Lord. Make sure that he's at the center this Christmas. But instead of just leaving you with that challenge, I actually have created a, a card, and I want to give you uh, a tang- some tangible, practical ways to do that uh, this Christmas season, okay? Um, and I made a card because if you're like me, I'll forget what they were before I leave today. So I want to challenge you with this, to put Jesus back at the center of, of Christmas, at the center of our lives. So the first one is really the easiest, and you should do this regardless if you do any of the rest of them. Um, super simple. It's read the Christmas story. Sit down with your family. Read about the birth of Jesus from Scripture, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but gather your family around and read it. And you don't have to give some big talk about it. I know that sometimes we all wonder, like, well, you know, I don't, I don't remember what all the pastors said. He had 14 points, and I'm going to try to remember at least one of them to tell my family. That's fine. That's great. That's wonderful. But y'all just let Scripture speak for itself. One of the things that I, I pray and I hold on to as a preacher of God's Word each and every Sunday morning that I preach is, first of all, God, speak through me in spite of me, all right? And then second, God, I know that your promise says your Word will not return void. Friends, Matthew 1, 18 through 2, 23, Luke 2, 1 through 20, there you go. You know where to turn now. Just read it. Just read it. Marvel in the wonder and the beauty of what our God has done in coming to us to save his world and his people. That is what Jesus has done. You don't have to have some big monologue to go with it. Just be faithful to read it. Share that time with your family. Second thing is gather your family and friends together. And share the love of Jesus with them. I think that too often in this culture that we're in, uh, we tend to, you know, the only time that we really gather together is maybe uh, to pray right before everybody starts stuff in their faces, right? And then you never really spend time again uh, together. Women go in one room, men go down to another room to watch football the rest of the day and never talk to each other, right? But what I want to challenge you to do is to actually sit and talk this Christmas. Be different. Uh, don't do the same thing you've always done. Tell, tell your family why you love them. You know, I, I think that that would go a long way if your kids, if your, your wife, if your family knew that you loved them and you told them that. Listen to their stories. Think about my, my grandmothers are uh, getting on up there uh, at this point. And I just love to listen to stories that they tell. Uh, to hear of their faithfulness and just the, the fun and the, the humor uh, through the years that they've experienced. And then there's always that one or two people that show up to Christmas that everybody really wishes probably wouldn't have been there. And it's for one reason or another. But friends, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to offer forgiveness to us, people who don't deserve forgiveness. Why don't we do the same? Why don't we lean into that this Christmas? Why don't we try to find the path to forgiveness and reconciliation in Jesus Christ because he's done that for us. Let's use him as our model. But gather your family and your friends together. Share the love of Jesus with them in real ways. Lean into it. Don't be afraid. 
Third thing is do an Advent calendar or reading during this season to keep you focused. This is something that uh, my family, we've done for uh, many years, but now that we have uh, kids, it's a, a lot more fun in a way. Um, if you've got kids, I highly recommend. Uh, it's called The Wonder of the Greatest Gift. It's by Ann Voskamp. It's a big book thing that has a pop-up Christmas tree in it. Uh, each day there's a reading uh, that you go through, uh, and then there's a little ornament that they put on uh, the tree. So over the 25 days, you decorate a Christmas tree. But what I love about it is that it is highlighting the whole story of Scripture from beginning to Jesus uh, of the Messiah's line uh, and the promises that God has made and the work that God did to, to bring about uh, Jesus to the world, the greatest gift. Uh, so I want to encourage you, if you've, if you've got kids or you just want to do that at home, it's a fun one and a really, uh, I think, really well-written uh, promise for us. Uh, there's also a great book that my friend Joe Poston uh, gave me, shared with me not long ago that I love, and it's not necessarily an Advent book, but if you really want to focus on Jesus, it's a great one. Uh, he Shall Be Called, it's 150 Names of Jesus and What They Mean to You. Uh, Robert Morgan's a great author, um, and it's a, it's a great book, so I encourage you to pick that up. Uh, but more than anything, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Uh, he came for you. Abide with him because he came to abide with you. God came and made his dwelling among us, right? Like that's what John uh, 1 tells us. He just wants to be with us. Amen. How he changes us day by day when we spend time with him is just amazing to me. Uh, you know what? You become more manly when you spend time with Jesus, I promise. All right, last thing. I try not to overwhelm us. These are pretty simple. I know it's a busy time of year, but they really do mean a lot. Fourth thing is give a gift. Give your time as a family to serve a worthy cause this Christmas. It's one thing that I love about this church is that it is a spirit uh, that this church has. And it's not always just to cut a check for whatever need, but it's really, hey, we're going to get our hands dirty and help however we can. You know, instead of us focusing inward only on our family, what if we did as a family go and do or provide for a family in need this Christmas. You see, Jesus himself, he didn't come to serve, or to be served, but to serve, right? And so this Christmas, we have to remember that it can be a very self-centered time, but serving others, it gives us the opportunity to think about and to meet the needs of others. So sit down, pray as a family, figure out what is it that you want to help out with, give money to uh, this Christmas, some cause that, that advances the kingdom of Christ. So all in all, I'm asking you to lead the charge this Christmas for yourself, for your family. No excuses. Let's not be like the people uh, at the beginning of Haggai. Let's get our temple in order and let's celebrate the birth of our King Jesus. So I want to leave you with the third verse of A Little Town of Bethlehem. I love that hymn, by the way. It's just a great Christmas hymn. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Father, we pray by your spirit, Lord, that you would dwell among us, your people, your temples. Lord, we're grateful for the way that Jesus made for us. And God, I pray that us as men, men in this room, men that hear my voice, Lord, that we would be obedient to you. Lord, that we would consider our ways. Lord, that we would place you at the center of our very lives and that that would permeate everything and every part of who we are. Father, we pray that in this season of Christmas that can be so distracting by a myriad of reasons, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful, help us to listen to your voice, faithful to do what you have called us to do. And Lord, more than anything, would you help us to remember that you are with us. Thank you, thank you for the gift of Jesus that you did come to us and are with us even now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.